Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm excited this morning, church, to be bringing us around the Word of God again. We're continuing our series on dangerous prayers. Pastor Charlie's word last week on revival was next level. If you haven't checked it out, shame on you. No, just joking, but go check it out. Let's make sure every single Sunday that we are prioritizing God's house and worshiping together in the Word of God. So I'm continuing our series this week, and next week we have something special, so stay tuned. But this week, the prayer, the dangerous prayer, that we're going to be focusing on around the word is simply this, make me more like you, Jesus. The simple prayer of, I don't want to be more like myself. I don't want to try and impress you, God, but please, God, make me more like you, Jesus. And if we are a Christian, our call is simply to be smaller versions of Christ. We're going to get into a minute after I pray into some ugly versions that maybe we could be. But I simply want us this morning to strap in because I feel like the word that God has for us is very relevant for today. And I just believe that when we ask God that we want to be more like his son, Jesus, that we have to be willing and understand that we need to look to Jesus and look to who who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and not be surprised when God puts us in situations that demand us to be more Christ-like and less us like. So let me pray for us this morning or this afternoon or tonight, whenever you're watching, and we'll get right into this thing. So let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for the honor it is to follow you. I pray this morning or this afternoon or tonight that we make a decision to focus our attention on being more like you. I pray as situations and circumstances come up, even as I'm sharing some things right now, and as you locate us, I pray that our choice be, I want to be more like Jesus. I thank you that that is a righteous prayer, that that is a good prayer, but it's a dangerous prayer. And I pray that uh, you help us this morning to be open to your word. I pray that you offend us, you challenge us, you locate us, and that ultimately you give us your grace to be sons and daughters of God, ambassadors for Jesus, ambassadors for heaven. So help us today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to get into this thing in a second, but I simply want to give us a few pictures that are going to appear on the screen around me to give us a reminder, a visual to know that when we're called to represent Jesus in the earth, it's exactly that. We are supposed to look like him. We are supposed to mimic him. Our behavior, our actions, our thoughts are called to be more of him and less of us. In the same way that John the Baptist prayed that he increase and I decrease, that that be our prayer. So here's a simple cake on the screen, a beautiful picture of what it was supposed to look like, but then the horrificness. I pray that this not be us, that when people look at us, do they actually get a right image of what it's supposed to be? Here's another picture, a simple wrong sign placed here that when we look at uh, our own lives and when we measure our own lives, are we representing properly? Is our sign, is our label representing properly what we're supposed to be as Christians? Another one here is a disgusting image of a TV dinner in joy where it is simply, it's supposed to look like one thing, but when you get it out, when you make it, which is pretty much every TV dinner ever, it doesn't look like the package like the label, like the thing here, chili spaghetti, or the thing of 
class Christian. It doesn't really look like Christ. And lastly, he's a beautiful ice cream. It's supposed to look like that beautiful bird, but instead it kind of looks like it's a little bit high. So let's make sure that as a church family, that this morning as we come around this simple prayer, that we want to be more like Jesus. We understand that it's an important prayer. And that we make a decision that when people see us as a Christian, we're not going to be the ugly cousin of Christ. Like we're not going to say, yeah, I'm like Jesus. I follow Jesus. But when they look at our lives, it's like, yeah, kind of. But like your eyes are a bit whack or like hashtag lopsided. Where's your symmetry at? I want us as a church to be... Um, aggressive and take it um, take the responsibility to pursue a life that just is more like Jesus every single day so rather than a true and accurate rendering of ourselves let's be a true and accurate rendering of Jesus on the earth so I have three simple things and one complicated thing so four points this morning for us to think about the person that Jesus was, and therefore we shouldn't be surprised when we get put in situations after saying this prayer that we want to be more like you, Jesus, that we understand, okay, this situation is just making us more Christ-like. So let's not be surprised. Let's not be dramatic about it. Let's not even be sad about it. Let's celebrate these opportunities. So the first one that Jesus was that where we're called to be is a person of forgiveness. It says this in Romans 5 verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a simple image of how much God forgives us and even makes a way for us before we even get out of our mess, get out of our mistakes. But if we're looking at being more like Jesus, we've got to go to the Gospels and we've got to take a moment and look at some of the attributes of Jesus when it comes to forgiveness. So it says this, In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus speaking, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And then it goes on to tell the rest of the story of the crucifixion or the murder of Jesus. This image of Jesus on the cross making a decision in his seemingly lowest moment, God forgive them. If we're going to be Jesus-like, we have to understand that our life is called to be a life of forgiveness, that we should be rich in forgiveness, that we should take every opportunity to forgive. This word forgive here that Jesus is using simply means to lay aside, to leave, to let go, and to put away. Can I encourage this church? Let's never actually miss an opportunity to forgive, an opportunity to lay someone's slate clean. Um, to live based on who he says we are. Therefore, our list of wrongs and list of labels and lists of all the other people that are dragging us down become smaller and smaller because our identity, just like Jesus, was fixated and focused and built upon what God says. So let's make a decision that when someone wrongs us, that all it is doing is making us more like the Jesus we're called to follow, a person of forgiveness. I wonder this morning, if you look at your own life, if forgiveness is one of your greatest attributes or if it's your beautiful eyes or your hourglass figure or your very strong calf muscles, or if when someone looks at your life, they say, wow, they're free. Like they seem to have let go of a lot. They might've gone through a lot of things, but they are rich in forgiveness. Question simply to ask ourselves. 
um, is when it comes to forgiveness or even a tip of forgiveness, there used to be these terrible bracelets, sorry if um, you love them, that just said WWJD on them. Um, it was kind of like a, a tacky like slogan or whatever, but the simple truth is if I seriously look at Jesus, how would he respond in this situation? If I look at the word, how much bigger was he than the hurtful towards him? How quickly did he forgive? A question to ask ourselves when we ask, like, have I actually forgiven is simply this. Would you be okay if Jesus had the same list on you that you have on that person? So if you've really forgiven, would you be like, okay, yeah, I've forgiven. I've forgiven in the same way that Jesus has forgiven me. The slate is clean. I'm open. I, I'm believing the best. I trust God. It's all good. I'm not bitter. I'm not twisted. Or do you have a list that is a little bit longer than the list you want God to have on you? Because the Bible teaches us very simply that if we are going to receive his forgiveness, we have to give forgiveness to those around us. So if you want to be more like Jesus, you've got to get good at forgiving and stop acting surprised when you get an opportunity to forgive. Don't act surprised when you get hurt. Don't act surprised when you're overwhelmed. Don't act surprised when someone wrongs you or you're left behind. Stop being dramatic about it. It is an opportunity to forgive and be more like Jesus. So this shouldn't be us. This picture here, it shouldn't be a difference between I'm supposed to look like this, but I'm actually going to act this way. It shouldn't be us. The second thing is this, to be a person of compassion. Jesus was a person of compassion and we are called to be people of compassion. Matthew 9 verse 36, speaking of Jesus says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion simply means to be moved from the inward parts, to feel compassion tender mercy or inward affection. To be a person of compassion is simply to allow your heart, your spirit, the inside to be so active and alive on the outside that it demands external action. So we're going to get into a moment, point number three, that I want to give you a sneak peek. But Jesus was often moved in compassion. And sometimes as Christian, we can be afraid of actually allowing the need to move us. But there's two groups of people that Jesus really often let move him. The first here is seen in Matthew 9, the crowd. The crowd moved Jesus. It moved him because there was a need. It moved him because some were sick. It moved him because there were brokenness. And, and sometimes in this scripture, it simply moved him because there was a practical need. And throughout the Bible, feeding the 5,000 or feeding the 4,000 in the Gospels, there's this moment where Jesus just sees a practical need and he's like, let's do something about it. Are you a person of compassion? Or have you become familiar with how broken our world is or familiar on how great the need is? And you've made your comfortable box of living like Jesus, but you've forgotten how often he was moved to the broken and hurting in the need where so much of Jesus' action was in response. He was going somewhere, but someone met him. He was moved in compassion and he healed the sick. He healed the blind. So he did it in crowds, but the second group is he did it one-on-one -on -one with people, whether it be a leper or a blind man, a boy with an unclean spirit, or there's a, there's a scripture in Mark of the widow with a dead boy. He was often stopping on his way to somewhere because he was like arrested by this 
inward compassion, like this supernatural compassion that moved him. When was the last time you were moved with compassion? And we always get asked those questions, um, like, but they're not rhetorical. It's not like, oh, yes, when was the last? It's stop and think, is the need, can you see the need? Like, are you around broken people enough to actually be like, oh, there's, there's hurt here, but not just, ouch, oh no, but I'm moved to act. Like, I'm changing this situation because Jesus is notorious for being moved by compassion, but then enforcing heaven on earth. So, are we truly moved by compassion? The way that we know that is simply this phrase, is the inside of me so alive that it's forcing external action? Is the inside of me so alive that it's forcing external action? A simple tip for compassion is this. Ooh, there's going to be a gap here. A simple tip to compassion is this. Be very open to the inside leading the outside. Be very open to the Holy Spirit arresting your heart and arresting your focus and be like, now I have to move. The moment is now that I have to take action. So let's be that. Jesus, I want to be more like you. Is you saying, Jesus, I want to have more compassion on the world. It's you saying, Jesus, I want to forgive like you forgave. If you want to be like Jesus, get good at compassion and stop acting so perfect, stone unmovable and allow yourself to be moved in your heart to actually do something to change the world because again this picture here this shouldn't be us we shouldn't be showing one thing but actually be something very different the third thing is this and then we're going to get into the big one the third thing is this that jesus was and we are called to be a person of peace person of peace isaiah describes that Jesus, the son coming, was going to be the prince of peace. It's later described by Paul that Jesus is this prince of peace. And I just want to give you a few different things that Jesus actually had peace in. Because when we think of peace in Jesus, we typically think of Jesus in a boat asleep. So we'll go to that. But there's a few other things that Jesus had peace in. The first one is found in Matthew 4, where Jesus had peace in temptation where he was attacked, where there was these different offers from the enemy, but he had peace enough in them. Seemingly, he calmly responds with speaking truth to the enemy's plan. When it comes to your peace, how, how good are you at calmly responding to the lies? No, I choose not. I'm not believing that about me. Like I'm not letting that thought run over. That isn't the truth. That isn't the reality. Heaven is my home. That's normal. This isn't normal. Where you can just peacefully just be like, nah, Like not I have to wrestle over this or like get scabs on my knees because I'm scraping them and praying so hard on my knees all the time. Hashtag scabby knees. But I'm just at peace with the fact that no, this temptation that's coming against me is nothing compared to the truth that God is speaking on the inside of me. So he had peace in temptation. Yeah, he had peace in the storm. Luke 8, where he's asleep because he's not fearing death. Our society fears death. Even right now, people are thinking, is it the apocalypse? Is it the end of the world? We're called to be people that fall asleep in the storm, that are so not concerned about those things. And we'll get into a moment how you be compassionate, but also you have peace. But Jesus also, the third thing is uh, Jesus. That's not his name. Jesus had peace during rejection. In Luke 4, where he goes back to his hometown, 
Jesus had such a pace that he healed those that he could, but he couldn't heal very many. But then he moved on. He didn't freak out and be like, please, guys, let me do this. He's just like, okay, that's what is happening. Let's move on. So peace in temptation, peace in the storm, peace during the res- uh, during rejection, and then peace in need. Jesus sees the 5,000 men and women and children as like to his boys, like you feed them. Let's feed them. Like I have compassion on them. Let's feed them. It's not like, oh my gosh, how are we going to feed them? There's just this peace, this ease, and an amazing miracle breaks out because there was peace in the midst of need. And the last thing is Jesus had peace till the end. Like back, we see that moment in point number one today, forgiveness, where Jesus is on the cross and he's forgiving and he's giving up his spirit to God. And ultimately he's believing in resurrection because he's he's not that afraid because he knows that he's God. (laughs) The father can resurrect him that he can die on the cross for our sin and make a way forward in the same way that Abraham is about to attack his son Isaac, knowing that God can resurrect. Jesus is doing it for himself, not fearing death and not fearing the end. He had peace in all of these circumstances, and that's kind of why he's the Prince of Peace. So how do you have peace? It's really difficult and impossible, and you'll never achieve it. No, it's this simple. Trust God. Trust God. Like just trust God. When we lack peace, we don't trust God. There's so many reasons and excuses that we can let all these things flood us and overwhelm us. But if you don't have peace in temptation or the storm or rejection or need, or you feel like you're coming to the end of things and you don't have peace, ask yourself the hard question. Do I trust God or don't I? If I'm going to be more like Jesus, I have to trust my father. Jesus did. He trusted his father throughout this entire journey of being on the earth. Do you trust God? Because peace is simply trusting God. So we have this this friction now between compassion and peace. So this is the the truth that I want to give us. How to be a person of peace so nothing is shaking us, but also a person of compassion that something is moving us. So peace is trusting God, but compassion is carrying God towards the need. They coexist. Peace is, I trust you, God, with everything. But compassion is, because I trust you, God, I can do something. Another way of saying it is this, that peace guards our heart, but compassion expresses a healthy heart. Peace guards our heart. We read in scripture that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. So peace guards us. So the things coming in don't destroy our heart. But compassion, because we're connected to him, has a healthy response. Our heart is shown healthily because we move in compassion. So if we're lacking peace, we're probably not guarding our heart well. And if we're lacking compassion, we're probably not letting the Holy Spirit flow through us. So let's just take a check on ourselves. Hashtag check up from the neck down, heart area. Check up from the neck down, check up somewhere. And make a decision that I'm going to have compassion towards the need, but I'm also going to have peace that the need doesn't overwhelm me. The question to ask yourself, have I got peace? It's simply this, a supernatural calmness, rest and trust above everything. Another way of saying it, let me say it this way, is a supernatural calmness, rest and trust is your normal. Like your normal is calm, like your normal is rest, like your normal is I trust God. It's not these random moments that happen, it is the normal. So a peace tip is live a life where you constantly have to say, I trust God. 
Like, I trust God. Like, I trust God. Oh, this is going on. I trust God. This is happening. I trust God. He gave me this vision for my life and I'm not there yet, but I trust God. If you don't have to say, I trust God a lot, you might not be trusting God. <laughs> but if you live in this realm of being like, no, I need his peace and my, that peace comes from trusting him, I just trust God. If you want to be like Jesus, get good at peace and stop focusing can I get intense? I'll get intense. Stop focusing on speaking out, worshiping, and being in love with the giants in front of you. Be in awe of his power rather be in awe of their power. They are small. He is big. And get good at being like, no matter what is coming against me, it isn't the main thing. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not going to meditate it. I'm going to meditate on him. I'm going to meditate on his word. I'm going to focus on what God wants to do. I'm going to focus on this giant under my feet rather than over my head. If we are to be like Jesus, we have to be people of peace. Whew, there's no escaping it. There's no fearful Christian. It's someone that is simply at peace. So, okay, if you're sick, he is your healer. There's your revelation. There's your truth. I'm sick. Okay, I accept that. I have peace because he is my healer. I'm afraid. Okay, Psalms describes him as the Lord God Almighty, the Lord invincible in battle. So it doesn't matter that I'm afraid in this, afraid in this fight because the God that I serve is bigger than all of this. Okay, you're tired. He is your strength. He is your hope. We just need to lift our eyes to Jesus, because this picture again, this shouldn't be us. We shouldn't be saying we're a follower of Jesus, but our peace shows us to be a follower of something else. And the last thing is the biggest thing, and we're going to focus the rest of our time on this. Sorry if I go over time. Please forgive me. When it comes to Jesus, Jesus was a person of forgiveness, a person of compassion, a person of peace, but ultimately he was a person of heaven. John 6 verse 38 gives us this amazing picture of Jesus' reality. And it says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I've come down from heaven. So there's this moment where Jesus was above and now he comes down to us. And my decision is not to do my will, but to do his will. So it gives us this simple picture from heaven is a moment of descending here to do the father's will. So what we should simply do is that we should encounter heaven, descend to our situations and do the will of the father. We should spend time with God. We should go into situations and we should do the will of the father. That's it. Jesus is the example there of I am from heaven, that heaven is my home. The issue is what is our home? What is our reality? Many Christians live here and experience there rather than I live there and I experience here. Like I live in heaven's reality. Heaven is my country. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my normality. And this is the weird experience, not that. So the challenge here that we see in Jesus is simply, I am here to do his will because I'm from there. So we have this image of Jesus, the son of God, who was there and came down. But we also have this truth that we are called to live in the reality of heaven and bring that on the earth. Jesus seemed to live and experience here, but riding both of those realities, the father's will and his own will. I choose your will over my will. So if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we have to be a person of heaven. So what does that actually mean? It means this, that we are a visitor, a sent one, enforcing the realities and the rules of a different kingdom on the kingdom we are now in. 
that we're a visitor here, that we are sent here, that you're actually in your workplace and all of those things, not to represent Celebration Church, you're there to represent heaven. And if you don't represent heaven, heaven probably isn't your home and that's your home. And you want to go visit there one day. But if we're going to be heaven people, a person of that reality, we have to understand the truth of, let me say it this way. All Christians participate in some really human things. Let me give the four human things that are appearing on the screen right now. Done. Dun, dun, dun. Maths. That's right. Maths just appeared on the screen. And that was the closest we'll ever get to ABC Kids on a Sunday service. All Christians experience these things that are very human. And it's just like maths in action. It's we add to things. We subtract in things. We divide from things. And we multiply in things. I simply want to say this. There are Christians that add heaven. This is... You bring a revelation, you bring an encouragement, you bring a testimony, you, you bring a truth, you bring a reality from heaven in situations and you add to what God is doing. Secondly, there's a group of Christians that subtract from heaven. These are people that often call themselves like the reality check. If you ever give a reality check to faith, that isn't heaven. That isn't from God. Your gift to the body of Christ is not to decrease or subtract from faith or subtract from unity. If you do those things, you're not a half glass empty or a half glass full two people coming together. You are subtracting from what heaven is doing on the earth. You are taking away from the kingdom of earth being established. So there are Christians that add. There are Christians that subtract and they can bring a reality check or simply they can suck all of the life out of what God is doing on the earth. So they can be dramatic. They can be, it's all about me. They can be convinced me of what God wants to do right now. And you're a subtractor. If you're a subtractor, guess what you can do? You can stop being a subtractor. It's that easy. So you can add, you can be bringing things. You can choose to subtract. You don't just magically become someone that sucks the life out of people. You can add or you can take away from the kingdom of God. The third thing is this, a divider. That's a Christian that divides the family. That brings disunity, that brings drama, that brings, I don't know, offense and pride. It's, I come into the family, I come into where the kingdom is established, and I want to make separation here. Ultimately, it's just division. Are you a Christian that says, I represent heaven, but I'm counterculture? Because, yeah, God adds. God doesn't subtract from what he is doing. God doesn't divide what he's doing. Ultimately, a Christian needs to understand the most powerful thing for the kingdom being enforced is multiplication. It is this. It is new salvations and new disciples and new leaders, new ambassadors of heaven. If we are going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, this is our category. Who are you getting saved? Who are you discipling? Who are you teaching things to? Are you like Jesus or aren't you? Because when we say this dangerous prayer that, Jesus, I want to be more like you. But think that that means we just sit on our butts. There's a, there's a distance between our dangerous prayers and our, and our honest heart. Let's be a church that has an appetite for revival because an appetite for revival is an appetite for multiplication. It's, I want to see more. I don't just want to add a little bit to this thing. I want you to have the same encounter with God that I had. I want you to take it to your family and I want it to multiply and multiply because our faith isn't a faith that divides. If I share my testimony with you, then I have a little bit of that and we split it up and we, and we get smaller and smaller. It's, it multiplies. It's every time there's a salvation, heaven erupts. It doesn't say every time you walk into a service, heaven erupts. 
uh, erupts. It says every time there's a salvation, heaven explodes. Okay, so this is directly after I finished my whole sermon. See, my cup's different, but I wanted to add something back in in this moment. I was a little bit hesitant saying it, but I just feel like it's kind of the next level challenge. When it comes to adding, being an adder or a subtractor, a divider or a multiplier, I said all Christians participate in these different things that are just being human. But if I'm simply honest, I think um, a challenging thought that God wants to say to us is this, that um, if you are subtracting or dividing I'm not going to say that you're not a Christian, but I'm also not going to say that you are. Christian is a label that was given to people that when you saw them, you were like, that person is like Christ. So if I, it's actually my right or my responsibility to see things and be like, man, that person, that person's a Christian. It's not a label we place on ourselves. So when I say, I'm not going to say you're not a Christian, but I'm not going to say you are, if you're moving in a spirit or living in a way that always subtracts from what God wants to do, you need to get yourself in line with the army of God, with his will for your life to actually understand your call to more than that. And if your goal is always to bring disunity or if you have loose lips and don't understand the importance of what you say and what you're building, we can't say that that's Christian. Because when Jesus came, he came to actually destroy, to subtract and to divide the works of the enemy, but to build something. So when it comes to us being one of these four groups of people as they appear on the screen, let's make a decision that if we are to be someone that becomes more like Jesus, we have to admit, we have to kind of be that category. Like we have to be multipliers of heaven. So don't get all offended, Pastor Joel said I wasn't a Christian. No, I just said, I'm not going to call you a Christian. Let's be more like Jesus by our actions, not by our own confession of how righteous we are. Let's get back into this thing. And I want us to understand this is not a judgment on you, but it is a judgment on where you're up to. I think we need to separate those things. God loves us. God has a plan for us. But it doesn't mean sometimes he can't locate us in one of these categories. And let's be like, oh, wait, I have spent the last 20 years not multiplying his kingdom. Like I've spent the last six months of this year not spreading anything. Like I've subtracted or I've divided or I've just added and been like, oh, God said this to me. But we're not reaching out to those in need. The greatest commandment that we're given is to love God and to love people. But the last commission is to make disciples. And do you know what that means is that doesn't mean um, when it comes to making disciples, Jesus speaking there, he's not talking about maturing Christians because they didn't exist yet. What he's saying when he's talking about making disciples is he's talking about people that don't know me, new disciples coming into his kingdom and being matured. So if you're going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a person of heaven, you have to understand that your job is to multiply heaven on earth, to get people saved, to get them healed, to walk with them, by his grace to do all those things, but to be so moved with compassion that we actually do something with what is given to us. So I'll say it again. The appetite for revival is an appetite for multiplication, the appetite for the multitude. So let's get hungry as visitors to this land to see something more than what we've seen. 
to see something more than this land, than this country can offer us because heaven is our home. So if you aren't like Jesus in this area, guess what we get the opportunity to do right now? We get the opportunity to wake up and be like, no, my life is being written right now. What I choose to do with 2020 is being written right now. And I choose to be more like Jesus. Therefore, I need to encounter heaven until it erupts from the inside out. Our goal should never be to be full with God, but it should always be to be hungry with more of God. Because when we get full, we think we've arrived and we sit there and we let it all process. No, keep on being hungry for more and more and more of Him. Lastly, I want to read a scripture to us and go through a few chapters as the as the goodbye to helping us understand that, yeah, we're called to do those first three things, but they're all fulfilled if we're a person just like Jesus and just like some of these heroes, a person of faith, a person that lives in heaven's reality. Hebrews 11 verse 1 to 2 says this, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, which is heaven on earth, and the insurance of of things that we do not yet see, which is heaven on earth. This is what the ancients were commanded for. Verse 13 says, All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that they were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, implying that God is ashamed to call some other people their God, but their faith, their belief of something better to come, this is speaking of heroes of the faith before Jesus, speaking of Jesus and everything that is to come, but in the same way, we're called to have faith beyond our days, beyond generations. So their God was not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared a city for them. And then I just want to land this thing with these last verses that ring through Hebrews 11 into saying, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run our race. We're going to look at this great cloud as we conclude today. It lists some of these heroes and then it says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to list and it lists a few people, including David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice, who gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. All these amazing things list, but then verse 35 hits a truth that if we are going to be more like Jesus, more like these heroes, more like heaven-focused people, that maybe we'll lose some things in the journey on this earth. It says this, women receive back their dead, raised to life again, and even better resurrection. Some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Verse 38 is a reality that I pray that God would be able to say of you, that history would be able to say of you, that the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commanded for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, and also us being people of faith, 
would be made perfect. Faith comes before the answer. Revivalists come before the revival, not after. The leader does not come when the followers appear. The leader brings the followers. The discipler does not come when the disciples appear. The discipler makes the disciples. The leader makes the followers. The revivalists make the revival. The pastors make the pastoral care. There's this thing about these people of faith that were something before they saw something. And that's because they were people of heaven. Church, when we pray to be more like Jesus, let's understand the cost of that prayer. This point number four of like, am I a visitor? Am I a heaven person? Is asking ourselves the question, am I really a visitor? Does heaven feel unfamiliar? Because if heaven feels unfamiliar, then maybe we're visiting that reality and this is where we choose to live. Or does this feel uncomfortable? Do we struggle to accept this? Is heaven so real that we will not accept anything less? So if you want to be like Jesus, get good at heaven's reality. If it is normal there, then I'll make it normal here. I don't want to be an expert on what God can't do. I want to be an expert on this is what heaven is, therefore I'll bring it. So to be a person of forgiveness, to be a person of compassion, to be a person of peace, and to be a person of heaven is our portion, is our calling. So please, church, let's take some time today to get away in heaven. This isn't more work. This is I spend time with God. He does something on the inside. It is like a fire in my bones, and then I enforce it. If we want to be more like Jesus, let's be more forgiving, more compassionate more peaceful, and more bringing heaven's reality. Let me pray for us as we finish this morning or this afternoon or tonight. I just want to pray that we would have maturity and that we would take responsibility and ownership of being Christ-like. Jesus, I thank you for the call and the righteous prayer it is to say that we want to be more like you. That our call is actually just to be more Christ-centered and to bring your reality more into this world's reality. So I pray that this morning that this word would mature us, that it would grow us up, that it would wake us up to being people that just love and encounter you, but not at the expense and not making some belief system that we can do that without being moved with compassion, without seeing their need and doing something. So this morning, if we have been consuming in church, may we be someone that starts to realize that isn't church. If we are subtracting or dividing or even just adding, not realizing that we can see someone else's life changed in the same way that our life has been changed. I pray this morning that you would do something in our hearts, that you would shake us up a little bit, that we would give you enough room to make this more than some words out of my mouth, but a word from you to our spirits, to be multipliers, to be people that are people of heaven. So help us, give us your strength, but may we be a church of multiplication of helping the multitudes in jesus name we pray amen amen church thank you for being with us this morning this afternoon tonight and we'll see you next time peace out we would love to give you the opportunity to respond to the message we just heard we believe that jesus died on the cross for us and that if we give our lives to him and make him our lord and savior we can begin the greatest adventure of our lives with him, turning from sin and walking in relationship with him every single day. On our church website, celebrationchurch.com.au, we have a page entitled Jesus. 
This page has information that can guide you through a salvation prayer, getting connected and getting discipled and becoming more and more like Jesus. We'd love to know if you have made a decision today so that we can celebrate with you. You can let us know by going to celebrationchurch.com.au forward slash share stories. Thank you for joining us for Church Online today. We pray you are blessed. We love you and we'll see you next time. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.